Hello and welcome to Today in Space. I am your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Giorfanos, and we're coming to you here from Florida. I'm on Merritt Island. We're here for the Artemis One launch. And uh, if you guys have been following us on Today in Space pod on Instagram, or if you've just been following the NASA Artemis mission at all, you know that the mission was scrubbed and we are waiting for the next possible launch, which is Saturday, September 3rd at 2.17 p.m. Eastern Time. So we're going to be camping out. We're going to be there to cover the launch, uh, the next launch attempt. And uh, this episode, what I wanted to do was cover the balance because there's a lot to talk about, right? As far as what happened with the SLS, why did the space launch system not launch? We'll cover that in more detail. I took some notes uh, from that press conference and we'll discuss what that means, the balance of SpaceX and SL and NASA and really talk about more about this experience of coming down here. This is, I have already seen my second rocket launch of all time, which is which is amazing. Uh, that was on that Saturday night that I first got here in Florida. And that was uh, amazing. I just pulled off on the side of a road, uh, which is new and interesting in Florida. I guess that's just very, very common if you're close enough to Cape Canaveral. You're in Merritt Island, there, there are these causeways, these places where you can pull over and park a car, there's little openings uh, right by the shore, and you can just set up and watch. There were people just coming out of work, coming home, just stopping over because they knew the, the launch was gonna happen. And, you know, SpaceX launched at night with uh, some clouds. They The first launch window, there were lightning storms. There were still lightning storms going on that night. Uh, I went to go for the first window, I think it was 10.30. And then uh, that got that got pushed to the later date, so I ended up driving a little bit closer to where I was staying, pulling off, and there was just a bunch of people there watching a launch. It's uh, it, it's it's kind of magical uh, to to see this now. Uh, I can only imagine what the Apollo years were like, right? Uh, what that must have been like down here. I mean, all the houses are still of that era, at least in the area where I'm staying, right? As close as you can be to the Space Coast. It, it's yeah, that 50 style, 60 style, just one floor, flat roof, because Florida is just flat, right? Coming down here to watch this launch, and even the SLS launch that, you know, I set up on Monday, um, that was a magical experience, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. I do have notes. I do have a plan for this episode. Uh, but before we begin, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, whether you're listening to us on your drive to work or you're listening to us at work or wherever you are, uh, subscribe to us there. Apple podcast, Spotify on YouTube, subscribe to us, hit that bell. So you get the notification anytime that we, uh, put out a new video. Uh, we're starting to put out more uh, YouTube shorts, but of course we also are on uh, Instagram at Today in Space Pod and Today in Space Pod on Twitter, El Greco, E-L-G-R, the number three, C-O on Twitter, and of course, Today in Space on TikTok. Follow us there. You can keep up to what we're doing. We've been posting a lot of content of what we were able to, to view of the launch, and we're going to keep doing that. Uh, we had a video of the night launch which I'm gonna show right here, uh, and that was that was really cool. Uh, I'm so glad that I got a new phone that can actually do some kind of night viewing because <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what that would have been like uh, 
with my older phone, uh, just could not do anything dark. Uh, but then we took so many amazing photos and videos uh, of the launch, and I'm going to talk about more about like where I went, uh, the different places that you can go, because this is only Artemis 1, right? Artemis 1 is robotic. It's a test flight, and that's kind of the theme here of the balance, is that this is a test flight, and NASA is still learning their rocket. And Artemis 2 will send people for the first time to orbit the moon and come back, and then Artemis 3 is when they're actually going to attempt the landing on the moon with the first woman and first person of color to do so. Uh, one of the best things that I think I did was just kind of a thought, again, I'm no, I'm no photographer, right? But I wanted to make sure that I could capture as much as I could while I was down here. And I was trying to find a, a budget way of doing this because the ideal way, you know, if you had the money, what would you love to do would be to get a DSLR camera or a mirrorless camera. Set it up, have all the great equipment, have a great lens you can see as far as possible. But I, wait, who has the money for that? I, I'm not at that. We're not at that point yet, right? Um, but one of the budget ways I could do that with all of the support you guys have given us through our 3D printing business, AG3D, where you can help, uh, well, we can help you bring ideas into reality with 3D printing, but also you can help us fund trips like this. This is why we're in Florida right now, is because of your support with that. Uh, and of course, our sponsor, Manscaped, which we'll talk about in a second here. Uh, use the code word SPACE to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. But, but that is all to say that I want to be a good steward of that stuff. And I don't want to just spend that money. I want to figure out different ways Especially if you're, as a citizen, as a human being, if you're going down to the Space Coast for any of these launches, whether it's SpaceX, whether it's the United Launch Alliance, whether it's uh, the Space Launch System in the future, right? Artemis 2, 3, those are missions that we're looking forward to, but you may want to make that trip down to Florida, right? So one of the things we did to help us capture the mission and, and, and get great views and test stuff out and make it be budget-friendly was we grabbed one of these. And so this is basically a, a, a bird watching lens. It was uh, 40 to 60 zoom. So it says here 1500 to 9500 meters, which um, really, really panned out well. And you, you can see in, in our first attempts, we went to uh, the bridge that's right there in Playa Linda. Uh, and we, we tested out uh, the lens and it really turned out well. The, the only downside uh, for this lens was that uh, there's a cap that goes to the back of my cell phone and that goes over the camera, there's a little hole, and then you put this right into the back of it and you're able to basically piggyback the lens to look, look further than your phone can. So it gives me the quality of what the phone would be at, you know, a decent uh, distance and gets us to enhance it. It really, I mean, you can see by what we did, it really, really turned out well. And um, I was really, really happy with it. The only downside, this is where we had to use the, uh, the power of 3D printing to help out. Um, but the way that this hooks up to the camera, the camera is basically sitting right behind this lens. The lens is the thing that's actually on the, um, the tripod. And that was doing okay. The tri our, our tripod, we had bought this the last time we were in Florida. So it's been, what, three years that we've had it. We've used it for all the podcasts to record stuff. So it's it's been around. <laughs> and uh, it's very thin. It's very light. Uh, so today, we actually picked up a new one so that we can be ready for launch and be a little bit more stable. But 
even with that, the, the lens was relatively stable, but the phone to the lens was the thing that wasn't so great. You know, it's just, it's just putting a camera up to a hole basically. And the phone was just like shaking in the wind. And it, as you can see in like, in this video here, like it wasn't, it just wasn't holding up to what we needed it to do. And, and on launch day on that Monday, uh, that ended up being much better and there was less wind and <laughs> I had, I had a, a, a nice setup. But um, what we ended up doing was, uh, luckily, my friend who I'm staying with here has a Prusa Mark III. So we whipped together a quick little like lens guide for stability that'll go right around the camera so that this cap will actually encapsulate the camera. And that will prevent a lot of that shaking that it's doing from the wind. Uh, it could also cut out any kind of light that could you know, distort from the lens. But it, it's a cool little simple, it's a, two minute print. <laughs> um, but this subtle little difference to this cap, as we'll show you here, that's going to make all the difference in the world. So I'm excited to do that. Let's take a break to talk about our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is here for all your male grooming needs, whether it's the lawnmower 4.0, you can hear some lawnmowers in the background, they're getting to work. You need to get to work too. It's the summer, it's hot, I'm in Florida, I'm sweating all the time, and I am very happy that I have my Manscaped for uh, lawnmower 4.0, and I've, I've got everything I need to, uh, to get through the heat, feel good about myself, feel groomed, and be ready for whatever comes at me. And one of the things as I was traveling down here that I realized was that I forgot the stand because the cool thing about the uh, Lawnmower 4.0 is that it actually charges like capacitively, like wirelessly, right? But the stand I forgot. Uh, so I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, I had a crazy beard. And I was like, what am I gonna do? And it turns out you could actually charge your Manscaped uh, device, your Lawnmower 4.0, if you have any kind of wireless charger, I literally was testing it out and I freaked out. I was like, yes, thank God. I have all the tools I need to uh, to manscape. I was good to go. Uh, trimmed up the beard a little bit and I was ready to go. I'm all prepped because of Manscaped. And what you can do to help support the podcast is you can use code word SPACE. Get 20% off on anything on the store, free worldwide shipping. Use the code word SPACE. You get 20% off, free shipping, and that means that you support the podcast. And just like this guy back here, there's a weed whacker uh, for anything that you need from, uh, from Manscaped, whether it's nose hairs, beard, anywhere else on the body, and other stuff for your male grooming needs. So make sure to do your own manscaping, just like we're doing some landscaping back here. Get trimmed up, be good for the summer, code word space, at manscaped.com, 20% off worldwide shipping. That's it, folks. That's how to support the podcast. And now back to the show. Setting up on Saturday for the first launch attempt, the first thing I want to say is that it was is an absolutely magical experience. Um, if you're going to come down for one of these Artemis mis missions or any of these major missions that are going to happen here on the Space Coast, you really do need to do a little bit of research and I'll, I'll share what I've learned while I was here. The big thing is that there's a lot of parking um, in these places where you can set up on the water like we were talking about earlier for the for the night SpaceX launch. Uh, there's a lot of those but if you really want to get the closest view um, there's there's a well there's a few different places you can look at. There is Jetty Park which has day passes. You know if you're going to come down for a specific day on a launch I would buy that pass ahead of time. 
Uh, I think the, there's like a three month pass for like 80 bucks. Uh, and then there's like a year pass for like a hundred something dollars. So if you're willing to spend a little bit more so that you have the flexibility, you don't have to keep buying any ticket if there's scrubs, that's one way to do that. And there's a lot of different locations like that. There's also uh, where we set up, which was Space View Park, which is a really cool little park. And they actually had, I think they were doing a NASA broadcast or it was a news broadcast. Um, they had a tent set up and people uh, were getting there extremely early. Uh, there was also the bridge, which we can show you the video here. This is where we took our first videos. And then here you can actually see how busy and how packed that bridge got, which when I was there on the first day, that's all I could think of. Uh, so I was really testing out all uh, that whole time, like what could I do? Where could I go that this this would work out? Um, and what I ended up going to was uh, Space View Park. So this is in Playa Linda. That's basically, Playa Linda Beach is about as close as you can legally get without being within the zone uh, of danger from the rocket. Um, and also you will be, you know, <laughs> if you try to do that, uh, you will experience, um, the military will find you. <laughs> so so do not try and jump the line. Uh, there are There are places that are blocked off for a reason. There was definitely more security for this launch because the vice president was flying in uh, for this launch. And, uh, you know, right after that bridge was actually blocked. Uh, so yeah, I think ideally you could get a little bit closer on a different type of launch, but you definitely don't want to mess around. That's that's one subtle thing that, you know, is not really, I don't, if you're not, if you don't live down here, you don't live near a launch site, it's not obvious. But if a space launch, if a rocket goes wrong, and that fuel, that rocket blows up, that rocket gets damaged and fuel escapes, that cloud of fuel is no bueno. So the moral of the story is wherever you go to watch a rocket launch when you're down here in Florida or really anywhere that you go, the biggest advice I can have for you is get there early, <laughs> especially if it's a big, if it's a big launch like this, you really want to get there early because, um, you know, and, and camp out if you can. Uh, you know, a lot of people were there way earlier than I was. They grabbed blankets, they they camped out. Like it, it was, uh, those, those are the best spots that you can get. Um, so definitely plan to go early, but most importantly, do that so that you can enjoy the experience, um, to be in the moment. Uh, don't plan too much. You know, I, I think, we're talking about the balance here. That's what this episode is. We're going to talk about the balance of SpaceX and NASA and, and, and the differences between those two. I also like to bring a little bit of the balance of uh, being a human being. And, and one of the things that I've gotten better over the years, the podcast, and I, I definitely uh, had to dial myself in for, for this launch was to enjoy myself. And I got to meet some people around me. Uh, I got to meet uh, Steve, who was sitting next to me, which was great to talk to him, uh, fellow engineer. We talked a little bit about some some uh, uh, working in manufacturing and talking about uh, rocket launches and and just being there. And it, it was. I'm really glad that I didn't focus too much on on being able to to do all the things that I wanted to do. One of the things that I wanted to do <laughs> was uh, go live for the broadcast and, and share that with you guys. And then I realized about an hour and a half before the launch window started, 
with all of those people there using their cell phones, the towers were getting slammed. There was just no way for there to, I was barely even getting texts to give you an idea of the, um, the real uh, demand of something like that. And, you know, with this launch now being on a Saturday of a holiday weekend for Labor Day, it is going to be packed with people, not only for people who have traveled to be there, but the people who live in Florida, who live in Titusville, who live near Orlando. Those folks are going to try and attend this launch because now they're not working like they would have been last Monday. So this is going to be an extremely packed launch. And for me, having having gone to Playa Linda and gone to Space View Park and... Um, you know, Jetty Park could easily be a very good solution, but I want to be able to uh, be a little bit more spread out. I'd like my own private spot to spread out a little bit, maybe put out um, a tent and a covering um, to, to get out of the sun a little bit. That, that really wasn't possible in Space View Park. So there's, there's a lot of things to consider. Also, you know, at 8 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning on that Monday, uh, that was when the heat really started to rise. And that, you know, I was glad that I had as much water as I had, that I had some food, but there really wasn't a way for me to put out an umbrella to really um, give myself all the space that I needed at Space View Park, because it was packed. And we were, we had originally set up and then we all kind of like kept scooching more towards the the, the front because uh, people were either using it as a way to walk through, to go, you know, further down the dock or, or to the gazebo that was there. Um, or there were people, you know, closer to the launch window that were just standing in front of us, right? Um, I was lucky enough that I had set my thing up early so that people were pretty clear that I was trying to look, you know, I had something set up to watch the launch. But, uh, you know, this stuff's not guaranteed. So, um, what I'm going to do, parking was $40 on, on, uh, on that Monday, uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, I'm going to be going out and I'll be, um, you know, I'll be paying for, for parking there. And that's going to be, I think the best scenario. So I'll be in the Tesla model Y, which I've rented for this week, which has been really cool. Uh, it's my first time driving an EV and that, that, that car is pretty damn cool. So, um, I'll, I'll be doing like a, uh, short video for the YouTube of just like what I've learned about it. I'll, I'm going to record inside the Tesla, which is going to be cool and, uh, and show it off to you guys. But yeah, looking forward to, to, to getting there and, 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 and camping out and sleeping over for a rocket launch. It's very cool. Um, but going back to the balance, uh, we'll close out this episode talking about what happened and the little subtleties of, engine three and why SLS scrubbed the first time and kind of what to expect moving forward here. But the real balance for this week comes between, you know, I've seen this first person here, uh, here in Florida, which is NASA's space launch system is a brand new rocket. And with the way that NASA has gone about doing this, it has been politically involved. So it it has had the political. It has been a political football for a very long time for funding and for getting things done, um, which, which has made it cost a whole lot more. Um, 
the contractors for SLS. How do how do I say this? Well, let's let's talk about a little bit of history, right? So SLS was originally in, in early early stages uh, supposed to launch a very very long time ago. Uh, potentially even 2012 was the really crazy uh, plan for them to have pulled that together. But realistically, the first year it was supposed to launch was 2016. Um, the Orion spacecraft, which is on top of SLS right now, uh, launched around the moon on top of Delta IV Heavy in December of 2014. So it's been eight years since the spacecraft has, has launched. Uh, luckily, there's some flight heritage on that. Luckily, there's some data on that. But that spacecraft has been in storage for eight years. And SLS was supposed to launch in 2016. And then in 2020. And now we're in 2022. And we've had the... We've had five wet dresses, essentially, of the SLS. And at this point, you know while we're very excited to to see this thing launch and, and we, we want nothing more than this thing to be successful, especially with how much money and time and, and people's careers that has gone into this thing, you know, SpaceX just knows their rocket more than the space launch system. Through attrition and through time, SpaceX has learned the Falcon 9. Uh, the ins and outs. They've built systems to um, help automate the things that they know could happen. So when SLS has a problem with the sensor on their engine, they're, this is the first time they're seeing it. So they have no idea. They only have the theoretical data that they have to go off of what could be wrong. What If the sensor is wrong, what could we know? With the Falcon 9, they're at this point where they're launching these things so often, and they've they've put it through its paces over the years. You know, 150th recovery of a Falcon 9 the other night uh, over in the West Coast. I've been here. I've seen I've seen two SpaceX launches in the amount of time that SLS has been on the pad and has already scrubbed once. There's been a Falcon 9 on the East Coast here in Florida that we saw on Saturday. And on the West Coast, they launched a mission as well. And SLS still hasn't launched. And and we're, we're talking about the semantics of sensors that we'll get, get here in a second um, that don't even necessarily have anything to do with uh, the actual flight systems and, and what would, would shut down a launch. So the, the, the moral of the story, the balance here is that if you take the approach of failing fast and learning faster, like SpaceX does, you have the advantage of over time learning the rocket and putting in putting systems in place so that you can make this more routine. Is it perfect? No, but it's a lot better than putting a rocket out five times saying that you're gonna launch and then getting to the point where, you know, you have to explain that, oh, well, we, we got a little bit further in the countdown um, this time. And, uh, you know, uh, definitely it's frustrating. It's frustrating to, to kind of feel like uh, 
like almost that they don't know what they're doing. And I know that's not the case. And I know everyone is learning. I know that the team, the Artemis team is learning on the fly. We're trying to do this big, massive uh, rocket that's that's in part using technology that we've known of, of the space shuttle, the RS-25 engines. But at the same time, it's a completely new rocket. And there's only so much that the theory can get you. When the rubber meets the road, when you finally... This is something that's very true of engineering and of science, that when you have the theory of it, when you actually go to experiment, when you actually go to put it down in real life and see what it really does, that's where you learn the most, and that's where you have to make your adjustments. If you spend too much time in theory and then hope and 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 basically are banking on the fact that the theory is perfect, it's going to take you so long to troubleshoot and realize what it's really doing in real life that it, it makes it makes it take so much longer. So even though SpaceX may have blown up a few rockets in the beginning, they have gotten to the point where they really do understand what they need to do to get these things turned around and and, and fly these things and make them reusable um, and make the missions more successful. And while they were highly criticized by the same people who are putting this rocket out there, this NASA's SLS, um, they are launching more than anybody else and they're really doing it and um for nasa they are doing the same thing that they they are going through the same method that spacex has spent the years going through and they are just not at the point where they're very good at it and they're learning right this is they're doing something new and uh, I wish it was stated more like that. You know, NASA is, is human beings. It's filled with human beings. It's not, they're not, they're, they're some of the smartest people that are there, but that doesn't mean that just because there's smart people there that it's going to happen. There are things that you need to do to make things happen uh, in real life that uh, require more than just being a smart person. There's there's different strategies, strategies that can be done, and what they're doing, you know, the NASA Administrator Bill Nelson brought up a, a decent point that I think is worth bringing up here that, that adds to this balance that essentially what they're trying to do with Artemis 1 is compress the Apollo missions. Now, Apollo missions 7, 8, and 9, which helped them uh, develop the technology that they would need to eventually go to Apollo 10, where they sent the astronauts around the moon and set up the grounds for Apollo 11, where they actually landed on the moon, Apollo 7, 8, and 9, they are essentially compressing into Artemis 1, into this test mission. So they're already doing more than in the past NASA had, had done to progress, to get to the point where they were ready for uh, sending humans into space. Um, so in, in some ways, it's, it's good long-term. Short-term, it sucks. Let's just be completely honest. Short-term, it sucks to get everyone's hopes up, get everyone out there to make the trip, to go see NASA's rocket, um, the, the uh, America's rocket, right? The, the country's rocket. Fly up and send su send us back to the moon. It's It sucks that, that there are scrubs and that there are there, the reasons for those scrubs are 
not great and uh, feel like it should have been known and it's it's difficult. But the good thing is that the team is experiencing the challenges. The team is troubleshooting the problems and they're learning along the way and feeling the pain just like everyone else is. And or more to agree because they're they're the ones uh, spending countless hours and, and sleepless nights and um, lots of overtime to fix those issues on the fly. Um, I think for the long term, for the for the Artemis generation, for these these missions that they're trying to do, I think it's good for them to experience this because hopefully it will make them more resilient. They'll they'll have faced challenges before and they'll feel more comfortable facing those challenges as they get closer when the stakes are higher with humans on board. But make no mistake about it, this mission is high stakes. Even this test flight of Artemis 1, this robotic test flight um, of the Orion system around the moon and back. Uh, and not to mention that they're going to be deploying cube satellites around the moon and, and, and you know, uh, going out of the orbit of the moon. Um, that are that are going to be setting the stage for a lot of the things that they need for things down the road here. Um, but, you know, when you compare it to the knowledge that SpaceX has of their rockets, it's just not, it's just not comparable. Um, and they have a lot of work to do. And like we were saying, if Artemis 1 is Apollo 7, 8, and 9, you have uh, Apollo 10 being Artemis 2, where they're going to send astronauts around the moon to test out the systems with astronauts on board and come back. They're going to scope out the landing areas and and learn the Orion spacecraft, where by Artemis 3, which would be Apollo 11, where they integrate the Starship as the human landing system, there's a lot that they need to do in a short amount of time. So this 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 growth that NASA has to go from not sending any missions to the moon for many decades, they're doing a lot of that in just three missions. And uh, the team is going to have to adjust and learn on the fly and really relearn a lot of stuff that has been lost over the years and doing things that they haven't done. We can all relate to that as people, right? When you do new things, that you haven't done in a long time or you've never done, it's painful, it's uncomfortable, and that's what they're going through. And we can all feel that with the scrubs and all the amount of time this has taken. Again, 2016 is when this mission was supposed to, to, to fly. And we're here in 2022 and launch attempt number two with a potential scrub for uh, Monday, September 5th. So we're, we're excited, but it is definitely high stakes for NASA. They they need to get this right and they can't risk losing that rocket or that spacecraft. That would be a huge blow to this program. But let's talk about the problem that did scrub Artemis 1. And uh, I took some notes. I was able to listen in on the, uh, the, the leadership team, both on the day of the scrub, the day after where they came together and they they analyzed what data they had on, on what could have gone wrong. And today I listened in on the, on the meeting where two days later, they've now addressed a lot of those issues and they're still a go for September 3rd, 2.17 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, let's 
go over NASA's SLS. So, so engine three was the problem. Uh, engine three had a sensor on board that reads the liquid hydrogen that is part of the fuel, right? You've got hydrogen, then you've got your oxidizer, which is liquid, liquid oxygen. Um, that is in the core stage. Now the core stage um, uses liquid propellant and four space shuttle engines, four of the RS-25 engines. And that same fuel is used to cool the, uh, the engines so that they do not melt under melt or degrade or, or have issues, um, but it helps maintain the performance of the rocket and the bell of the, the thrust where all of that insane combustion is going through and there's an insane heat transfer. So in uh, basically what they've done is just like on the space shuttle, they have to get the engine and the cryogenic cooling to a point where the, then the liquid fuel can go through there without turning into a gas. So they can, they can use it more efficiently and it doesn't immediately start to boil off, right? So on the engines, they're supposed to reach negative 420 degrees Fahrenheit. Engines one, two, and four were reaching about four, negative 410 degrees Fahrenheit, which is still not as cold as you'd like it, but at least within the window that they wanted. Engine three was only reaching negative 380 degrees Fahrenheit. So there was a, a an unknown there that that sensor was reading. It didn't make sense. They There are plenty of sensors on the engine. We found out today that there are five sensors on, five sensors on the engine that can help verify and back up and that the system on the rocket itself and the engine will actually monitor that stuff. It turns out that there are actually bad sensors on the SLS, these specific ones that they were uh, talking about. Now, the thing that, that confuses me um, is that I heard in that first conference, I think it was on Tuesday, that the sensors themselves have not been calibrated since the rockets left the manufacturing facility. Now, that's a long time for those sensors to not be calibrated. Sensors, classically, if you work in engineering, if you work in anything with sensors, sensors are classically uh, very easily out of spec and having a good calibration is good because they go out of spec. You need to make sure, put in some kind of a procedure that allows you to calibrate it. The rocket was already on the pad. So the only way for them to have calibrated those sensors again would have been to take it back to the vehicle assembly building. And that would have meant unloading the rocket and bringing it back, which meant they were not gonna make this launch window, which pushes them to October 14th, uh, mid-October basically, before they could do this again. So that, that was not gonna happen. So what they decided to do was do a risk assessment, go look at those sensors and any other sensors that they had to see if they could verify if there was actually good liquid hydrogen going through. Was it reaching the right temperature? And they have sensors on the pad, they have sensors in the engine, and they have sensors in the core stage. We found out that all the, the five sensors on the engine were looking good. The sensors on the core stage were looking good, which means that those sensors, that sensor was bad. Even, even the other three sensors, sensors um, were reading a little bit warmer than, like we said, the minus uh, 410 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, 
and the bleed system that they were using also had uh, a leak as well. They fixed that. Um, and the, the bleed system is really important because that's what helps take out the heat uh, for, for the line. So when there was concern that that wasn't working, that, that's a big issue. But now that we know that the sensors were, were faulty, it looks like they do have good liquid hydrogen going through the rocket. So a lot of the concerns um, from earlier in the week seem to, be, seem to be now out. But the strange thing, again, that we heard is that the sensors that they were worried about are actually not involved with the sensors on the rocket or the engine. So it's, they don't even have to do anything to fake out the systems on board that will take over once they get to the point where they're gonna launch. Um, which begs the question, why were we even worried about those sensors in the first place? Um, and this goes back to this balance that this is a new rocket. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know a lot about the system until they get it out to the pad and they try it. And that's where the SpaceX mindset is good because you've seen it so many times. You've, you've hit the ball so many times to use a, to use another analogy, like you have hands-on experience and you cannot replace that very easily, especially with rockets. So as, even though it's very frustrating, they, they have to go through this. It's, it's part of the experience. And what they can't do is have a big, big misfire, literally, and ruin that rocket. So they're being very cautious, but this could have been done over the last six years. You know, like there's, there's so much that they need to catch up on in such a short amount of time. Um, so a lot of what we've been hearing is a little, a little frustrating because if they just had a different approach, this, this could have been done differently, but we are where we are. Um, some other subtleties about engine three, we found out that the, 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 the line that goes to engine three is actually longer than the other engines. So there was also a concern that maybe because of the position of engine three and, and the piping that leads down to it, maybe because it was longer and because it was in that special spot, maybe that was the reason why it wasn't getting heat. But all that being said, it looks like things are good uh, and that they're, they're at least, they've analyzed the risk and they're, they're ready to go. Um, there was also a, a crack in the, in the foam insulation uh, which wasn't an issue, but it, it, it is still a risk for the flight where if it breaks off and impacts the side boosters, um, there, there could be some risk, but they're willing to take uh, that risk. And, and at the end of the day, you're never going to launch without any risk. Uh, and there, there is definitely a risk assessment. What was the, what was the term that they used that I thought was very interesting? Uh, risk acceptance rationale. Uh, and, and hearing the risk and, and how strange it is that that one sensor is not even involved with uh, the actual system that takes over. Again, I'm, I'm very confused by that. Uh, the, 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 the reason why that was to blame for the launch when in reality, there really wasn't a good weather for the launch anyways inside that window. There, there was not even a, uh, even if everything had gone well, the weather, there was rain going over the pad and a weather system developing too close. Um, so there is definitely a line of figuring out what risk is acceptable. I 
think there's still a lot of growth that NASA needs to go through for accepting risk. They've, they haven't had to accept risks like this in a very long time. So they're learning a lot very, very quickly. Um, if we go further here, uh, some of the things that they're changing, they're going to be, as far as procedurally, they're going to be actually loading the liquid hydrogen chill down at the same time as liquid oxygen. And that's going to uh, help them have a little bit more time for the cryogenic cooling to actually cold soak all those areas that they they need to make sure that they are cold. And they're going to use those other sensors to back all of that up. Uh, weather so far, uh, as of today, was at 60% go for launch on September 3rd. Uh, 86 degrees Fahrenheit at the time of launch, 2.17 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 9 to 13 mile an hour winds. And the good thing is that there's a there's an offshore uh, to the west, um, uh, some showers developing, but it looks like it's going to stay in that area and not go over to uh, where Cape Canaveral is. So it's actually going to provide them uh, less chance of thunderstorms and, and, and electrical issues near the pad, which is good. Um, on Monday, if they do have to push it, uh, it's September 5th, it would be 70% go for launch as of today. Um, and they're saying that right now, weather is not expected to be an issue. So that's good. That's very good. Um, we just hope that everything goes well with the rest of the countdown, because again, they haven't even gone through all of it yet. So as as great as it'll be to get through this next spot, there's so much unknown that they haven't seen before that if they hit another wall of we don't know what this is telling us, this is out of what the theory is, what the simulation is going to show us, it, this could mean that we only start inching closer and closer towards T0. And uh, it's frustrating, but it's the reality of, of where we are with this. So it's a balance. They're, they're catching up, um, learning a lot of things very, very quickly. And I think I'm looking forward to getting out there and enjoying that experience again, getting our long distance lens up and maybe, who knows, with uh, being on the shore and being in a less crowded area, who knows, I may be able to, to live stream it. But if not, we will be able to share a lot of that later. Um, and like just like we've done on this podcast here, we'll be able to put that up and you'll be able to see it and we'll be able to talk about it. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, folks. Thank you for, for joining us for a special Florida edition of the podcast. Looking forward to the launch. If you guys have any questions about anything, please hit us up, todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com, todayinspacepod on Instagram, todayinspace on TikTok, and todayinspacepod on Twitter. Hit us up, let us know your questions. If you have any questions about what it's like going to see a launch, any recommendations, or any questions about space launch system and, and what NASA's doing and what SpaceX is doing, please hit us up. We'd, we'd love to hit, add that into our podcast. So, um, and, and, and share the love, spread love and spread science as, as we say here. So, um, I'll be getting ready to, to sleep over for, uh, for my, my third rocket launch, as long as things go well. Um, really, really looking forward to it. And I wish the, the NASA team all the best. They've got a lot of work on their plates and, uh, they 
they they they are capable of doing it they just they need to get through this next stage so i, I hope everything goes well with launch i'll be there to, to watch it and be there and until then be well spread love and spread science and we'll see you on the next episode of today in space go artemis one please launch have a good one everybody